Hi everyone, it's a, a real privilege to be here this morning. I think last time I was here was September time, 2018, and you've invited me back, so that's always a good thing. There's some places I go and I don't get an invite back, so I think, oh, no, it's really good to be here. And I'm a, I'm a simple kind of guy, and so I want to share a really simple message with you this morning. And I just want to talk about burning for Jesus living a victorious Christian life, what it means to just day in, day out walk with Jesus and focus just on some practical things we can do to always remain in a place where we're in love and we're in awe with Jesus and then that transcends out of ourselves into the lives of other people that we can actually go out and reach other people with the gospel and our desire is just to make him known, amen? So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Kings 18. And we're just going to read, many of you may know this story, it's of, um, uh, pardon me, do you know when your mind just goes blank? It's Elijah on Mount Carmel. Has anybody heard this story before? So Elijah is on top of Mount Carmel and he has gathered all the prophets of Baal and he's gathered all the Israelites and he's wanting to prove that there's one true God. And through this story, I believe that there's things that we can take from it to really just, as I said, just burn for Jesus. And so, you know, just a bit of background. I don't know if my wife's coming back in. I'm here with my wife, Tamar, and our two young girls that have just gone out to kids' group. Um, we're from Liverpool. Uh, we travel over to the Wirral for church. People say, are you crazy? Um, it's only around 30 minutes, so it's not too far for us to travel, but people have this mentality there. I don't know if it's the same up here. I remember when we worked on the Lancashire Festival of Hope, um, I would sometimes by mistake call live in Blackpool and I had a few people that said you need to stop doing that. This is not Blackpool. So I don't know what your mentality is but in, on Merseyside it's very much that the Wirral is over here and Liverpool is over here and people don't tend to cross too much. But we make that trip over um, and that's where we call home. But let's jump into 1 Kings and we're going to start from verse 20 and it's quite a large portion of scripture. I'm going to just point a few things out as I read it and then we're going to um, jump into a few more things. Is that okay? Wonderful. So from verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You know, we could stop there. You know, Elijah is speaking specifically here to the Israelites and he's saying you can't serve two gods. You can't limp between two opinions. You know, in this day and age, we're not necessarily bowing down to different idols like Baal or where we read through the Old Testament of things that, that take place. But actually, we can find ourselves as Christians in positions where we're serving more than one God. That actually, we find ourselves coming to church on a Sunday and we're singing the worship songs and we're saying that we're serving God. But Monday to Saturday, something else has our heart. Something else has our priority. Something else has our focus. And when I preach this message that I'm sharing with you today I can preach it because it's a message that the Lord has spoken to me and so I, I want to be very vulnerable and just say sometimes as Christians we can have our focus on 101 other things and not just the Lord and the reality is if our focus isn't wholly on God and solely on God then we will find ourselves limping through life you know for you it may be that money is an idol it may be that just having things 
going how you want them to go is your idol. Maybe it's that you're, you have job security. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's Coronation Street. I don't know. But there are things sometimes that aren't bad in and of themselves, but we make our idols instead of the Lord. And so Elijah is speaking to the Israelites here, and he is simply saying, look, you need to make a decision. If the Lord is truly God, then follow him. You know, I think it's C.S. Lewis that says something like, you know, if we truly believe that God is who he said he is, if we believe that Jesus is real, that he came and he died and he rose again, then we just need to be all in. We can't just say, well, we'll have him on a Sunday or we'll have him, you know, at Connect Group on a Wednesday and then do do other things the rest of the time. We need to say, God, if you truly are alive and living and you died for me, then I'm going to serve you with my whole heart. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I even, I only am left a prophet of the law, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you can call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he's setting these prophets a challenge, and he's saying, if your God is alive, if your God is true, then ask it to send down fire. And if that happens, then maybe there's some legitimacy in the God that you're serving, you know. The world will run to 101 different things as their God, but the reality is it never satisfies. The reality is there's only one true living God that satisfies every soul, and his name is Jesus. And sometimes we need to remember that, and we can actually come to people with the gospel, with the good news of who God is, and we can see lives change. We can see God move in situations because he is the living God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah, this is verse 25, said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves and their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, remember that, according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And they said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw that, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. I'm going to stop there. You know, I, I, I didn't lie, did I, when I said that that was a, a long bit of scripture. Um, but let's jump into this. You know, I believe that one touch from the king, one touch from Jesus can truly change everything. And here there was something that took place on this mountain. The fire came down and it changed something within people's hearts. And they recognized once again that there was one true God. And we need to live from that place. You know, A.W. Tozer says to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. And I believe as Christians, there's so much more for us to experience that we live in this kind of Christian paradox where we're called to be fully satisfied in the things of God because of what he's done for us at the cross. But at the same time, there's so much more for us to encounter and step into. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I am the door. And I don't know about you, but a door is always an entranceway into something more. That actually when Jesus went to the cross and he died and paid the price for our sins, he actually reconciled us back to the Father. And actually we're not just waiting to go to heaven one day, but scripture tells us that we can experience heaven today on earth. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. And actually day by day we can experience more of God. And God wants us to have a hunger and a desire to know him in a greater way. Jesus said eternal life is knowing the Father. Knowing biblically speaks of intimacy and we've all heard this analogy before but we can know about someone but not truly know them. We can know their facts about their life, their date of birth, where they live, everything like that but actually do we truly know them and in the same way Jesus is calling us into a relationship where he's saying do you just know about me or do you truly know me and that's a challenge for each and every one of us today that we would come to a place where we say to ourselves Lord I want to know you but who knows as Christians that can sometimes be difficult because sometimes life can be busy, life can be tough and our focus can fall off Jesus and onto other things just because of the world that we live in. I don't know your story today. I don't know if you've come here this morning and life is just difficult, whether you're going through things, whether even in the time of worship, you just felt it's pretty difficult right now for me to raise my hands or just open my heart to the Lord. Well, I just, you know, as I said, I'm a simple kind of guy and my message this morning is just in hope that God would move on your heart, that you would leave this place saying, I found him again. You know, we all remember that time a first love, you know, that time when we first encountered the Lord and nothing else mattered. But as life happens, sometimes we can drift away from that place. And it's important as Christians that we always cultivate a relationship with God, that we remain in that place. When Elijah was on this mountain, what was the first thing that he had to do before he called the fire down? Can anyone remember? What he did was he, it said that he built an altar, you know, this shows us a lot of things because this is where the Israelites would have gone to give altar, uh, to give sacrifice to God. You know, this was the Israelites' altar that had been thrown down, that had been, you know, just broken down. And the reality is, 
for that to have taken place, it means that the Israelites probably hadn't been up there for a while. They hadn't cultivated that relationship with God. They hadn't climbed the mountain and they hadn't set up that altar or just looked after it so that they could offer sacrifices. And so often, you know, that altar is, is it's, it's a picture of our relationship with God. And I want to ask you this morning, how is your altar? How is your altar to God? Does it need repairing? Does it need building up so the fire can fall once again on your life? You know, how is it? How are things going? How are things going? It's interesting because in the scripture there, it does say that it, it was thrown down. And I think a real key thing is sometimes we can be our own worst enemies and it can be that we just haven't cultivated a relationship with God in a while. We haven't spent time in worship. We haven't spent time in prayer. And so we feel distant from him. But for some of you today, you may feel distant from God because of things other people have done to you. You know, that also was thrown down. So maybe somebody else came up the mountain and knocked it down. And the reality is people can do things in our lives that can cause us to be distant from God. Maybe for some of you, you're holding hurt in your heart. Maybe for some of you, there are things that have happened. You know, I always think of Jesus upon the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the reality is we can allow people to hurt us and we can allow that hurt to affect our relationship with God. How many have heard of friends or family that say, well, I don't go to church anymore because of what people have done to me? And the reality is they've stopped serving God. They've stopped pursuing God because other people have hurt them and they've allowed that to get in the way, you know? And Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the reality is we can come to a place in Christ where actually instead of crying because of people, we can cry for them. And that actually those people that hurt you the most are probably hurting you because they don't truly understand who they are in Christ. That actually if they had a relationship with God or if they were closer to his heart, they wouldn't be doing the things that they do. Does that make sense? And so instead of holding a fence in our heart towards people, actually we can love them and we can pray for them and we cannot allow those things to set up a fence to stop us coming into the presence of God. You know, Daniel was really in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were really in the fire. You know, things happen in life. Things knock us. And I may have shared this, this last time as well, but you know, we all serve a God that is powerful. We all serve a God that is good. We serve a God that can shut the mouth of every lion. You know, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a fourth man in the fire and his name was Jesus. And so whenever we come into a situation that tries to bring us down, we can know that God is with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us day in, day out. You are never distant from God because of what Christ did at the cross. Actually, he is there right next to you. You know, it says, he who knew no sin in 2 Corinthians became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That we have right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. So wherever you are, whatever you face, you can know that he's there. You can know that you can call out to him and he will meet you. He loves you. So I believe that it's time for each and every one of us to focus on either cultivating that altar or rebuilding that altar. Amen? Gosh, you guys are quiet today. Maybe it's because all the youth are away. I don't know. I don't know. But there are four things that Elijah does when he builds this altar. 
And I just want to touch on those four things because I believe they're, in a sense, I'm not normally a point-by-point person when it comes to sermons. You can probably tell that I'm here, there, and everywhere. And that's just how I am with God. And sometimes I'll say things and then halfway through I'll think, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Uh, could, could someone help me out? But, you know, I believe there's four things that we can pull from this scripture that will help us in our relationship with God. You know, the first thing that, that, that takes place, and it's in 1 Kings 18.21. No, it's not. That's a lie. It's in 1 Kings 18.31. It says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built on He built an altar in the name of the Lord. I love this because we can read this and we can skip over this and we can think, okay, he started to build the altar just with 12 stones and we don't see the relevance. But I want to tell you there's great relevance in the fact that he chose to build the altar with 12 stones because the Israelites would have been standing there and the Israelites would have known about themselves and their history and these 12 stones would have reminded them of God's goodness. Because the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel and they would have all of a sudden said, oh my goodness, I actually remember how good and how faithful God is. That actually he took our ancestors out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. I remember that he's faithful. I remember that he can be trusted. And for us as Christians, one of the most important things we can do when we feel distant from God, one of the most important things we can do when we feel dry in our walk with God is simply Simply remember his goodness. Simply remember all the things that he's done for you. That can be the place where you can first begin to build your altar. You feel rubbish, just remember his goodness. You know, remember what he's done in your life. Remember what he took you from and brought you into. Maybe you have family members that have been saved. Maybe you have family members or friends that have been healed. Remember his goodness. You know, you may be looking at me and saying, well, Reuben, I don't really have those stories. Even my salvation story just you know, I don't, it doesn't spring to mind the goodness of God. I want to tell you, just think back to the greatest love act of all, and that's the cross. Think of what he did for you at the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says, for God demonstrated his love in this, that whilst we were sinners, he sent his son. You know, we can just stop there for a second and think of that. That whilst we were sinners, whilst we were distant from God, whilst we were alienated, whilst we were enemies, while, whilst we were destined for something called hell, he sent Jesus to bring reconciliation. And so often in our Christian walk, we, we act like we only get things from God if we do well or if we do good. The reality is whilst we were sinners, whilst we didn't tick any boxes, He sent his son because he loved us. And so I want to encourage you to remember his goodness, remember his grace, remember his mercy, remember of all the goods that he's done for you. You know, when I was a lot younger, we would host youth meetings in Liverpool and uh, once a month we had testimony evenings and it was some of the most wonderful meetings we had because everybody would be sat down, there'd be around 100 kids And we would one by one just say, who would like to come up and share testimony? Who would like to come up and share 
what God has done in their life. And one by one, people would come and you would sense the atmosphere shift as the meeting would go on because faith would begin to rise in the room. In Revelation, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What that means is that the testimony of what Jesus has done in somebody's life can speak life into somebody else's. So there's a young person in this room thinking, hey, you know, you're not special if God did it for you then God can also do it for me. And that is why sharing of God's goodness and sharing testimonies is so important, just to encourage one another. You know, when I could list off, and I wasn't planning to do this, but I could list off some testimonies for you now. I remember in those meetings, we saw God move powerfully. And I want to tell you, it wasn't anything that, that myself or our team did. That's the beauty of it. You know, we were young, we were immature. We, we just kind of just went along for the ride, but God was gracious in that and came alongside us. And we had a friend, I was, I was 20 at the time, and my friend, she was called April, and she was, um, she was married. She'd got married to her high school sweetheart, and, you know, she was just coming along to the church. She had cerebral palsy. Now, she was told by the doctors she'd be in a wheelchair by the time she was 40. She was told that she would never be able to have children. She used to work at the local Asda. And when she would finish work at Asda, her husband would have to carry her into her bed because she was in so much pain. She had never ran in her life. And I remember one meeting in worship, we were just praying and we were worshiping God. And some of the girls in the, in the, in the room began to pray over her legs. And this girl, April, she starts just screaming, but screaming with joy. And I'm not even involved in this. I just hear the noise. I'm thinking, what's going on? She starts saying, I feel warm liquid running through my legs. And the girls say to her, April, get up and run. You know, <laughs> when you're young, you, you, I don't, I just think it's just childlike faith. You know, as we get older and we see God not move in situations and we pray for things and we don't see things happen, so often what we do and we call it maturity and we just call it being wise. What we do is we allow our experience to, we allow the truth to water down to our experience instead of keeping the truth up here and not allowing our experience to be the norm. You know, I've prayed for people and I've seen people not healed and I don't always understand it, but Jesus tells us, and I didn't plan to preach on healing, but there's so many scriptures that say, you know, that, that say you will do greater things, that actually we have the life of Christ that the, the, you know there's so much and so I come from a place and I don't know if you agree with me but if I pray for something and I don't see the breakthrough I'm not going to say well God just must not heal but actually I'm going to say well we didn't see it this time but I'm going to try even harder I'm going to come alongside I'm going to seek after God and we're going to see it next time but anyway April's there she gets up she begins sprinting around the room and everyone's kind of like oh my goodness everyone's praising God I want to tell you to this day she's still testifies that she's completely healed. Her husband is now a vicar in the Church of England. They live close to, to, to that where that took place in Liverpool. But she's got two children. You know, she's 32, uh, she's 30 years old now. She goes regularly on runs. And it's just a testimony of the goodness of God. You know, some of you, you may say, well, we really want to grow this church. We want to see more people come through the doors. And some of you may say, well, I don't see how that will happen. I don't see how we're going to draw even 
even more young people. You know, in these same meetings, we would have, and we call them in Liverpool, scallies. I don't know if you have the same kind of terminology up here, but we would call them scallies. And these young kids were outside the church of a Sunday night, and they were saying, oh, you know, what's going on in there? And they're in the tracksuits. And we're just joking with them and talking with them. And we, we say, come in, come and experience it. And they're just really there to poke fun and have a laugh. They come in. They meet the power and the presence of God in that moment, and they're changed. The next six to eight weeks, they're bringing their whole class along. We didn't orchestrate anything. We didn't make a special program. We just allowed them to encounter the presence of God. You know, we built our own altars in our life in such a way that the fire was able to fall. And then other people said, I want that. I want to experience that. And we saw amazing things. I don't know where those young people are now, but I believe that wherever they are, whatever they're doing, a seed was truly planted. But for around eight weeks, they brought the whole class and it was, it was crazy. You know, we had all these like 30 young people in that were just encountering God and giving their lives to Jesus. And so God can do anything. So I encourage you to share testimony. You know, the second thing that Elijah does is it says he digs a trench. Digging a trench speaks of making a clearing space in our life. You know, John Piper says this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. You know, I've just wrote this. Many of us have created excuses not to allow him space in our lives. I've heard people say they don't read the Bible because they forget what they read. Has anybody heard anyone say that? You know, they say, I don't read the Bible. I don't take time because I just forget it anyway. You know, I like to reply to that and say, I forget. I had breakfast, you know, last Tuesday. I forget what I had for breakfast, but I know that it still nourishes me. And so we need to create a clearing space. You know, people say, well, I don't pray. I, I, I tried to spend time with the Lord in prayer, but I just kept falling asleep. And I like to say to them as well, I've never known a father. I've got two children. I'm never going to be mad if my children fall asleep in my arms. And God is the same. And so he wants us to create a clearing space. He wants us to dig a trench. He wants us to find space and find time where we can simply be with him. In Hebrews 12, it says, lay aside every weight and sin that entangles. You know, so often we focus on the sin we don't focus on the weights. Not everything that you do will necessarily be sinful, but it can be a hindrance. You know, it may be something that you do time and time again, and there's nothing wrong with it, but actually you could say, well, I'm going to stop doing that as much so I can find time to spend with God. You know, as Christians, we can be our worst enemies because we come home from a busy day's work. And I know I would have shared this last time because my messages are always the same. But we can come home from a busy day's work and what we truly need is to spend time in his presence. Amen? We're worn out, we're tired, we're a bit cranky. We need to spend time in his word, in prayer, to spend time with him. But what do we do? We switch on the TV, we get our dinner, we, we do 101 other things. And we think that that will satisfy our souls. You know, it may bring temporary fulfillment, but the next morning we wake up and we feel just as dry, just as frustrated, just as just, you know, just not in that place where we want to be. Who knows when you encounter the presence of God, everything changes. And so often we just need to renew our mind and train ourselves to say and recognize I'm feeling a bit dry right now. What I need to do 
is not watch. I'm watching Lost, the, the, the TV show at the moment. Um, I'm a bit of a fan, so I'm re-watching it. It's maybe not to sit down and do that, but it's actually just, you know, take 10 minutes and we all have our things. And this isn't legalism. I don't believe that it can be legalism when you're in love. But actually, it's just recognizing that he is for you and he's the best thing for you. You know, the next thing, the third thing that Elijah does, it says that he gathers the wood and cuts the ball. This speaks of sacrifice. And so often, sacrifice is seen as a dirty word. You know, we think, oh, you know, sacrifice. But the reality is for all of us who have loved somebody, you know, it's never a sacrifice or a chore to go out all your way for that person, especially when you're in the honeymoon period. <laughs> but who knows that in our relationship with God, sometimes, maybe 10 years down the line, it's not always going to feel like the honeymoon period. So often we think that we live by feelings and not by, by faith. And I believe that we can remain in his presence and be in that place where we always know and feel his love. But actually, we need to train ourselves to say, you know what, I might not feel like reading the word of God today, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know that it's life to my soul. Amen. We just need to continue and continue, and that's when we grow. You know, Jesus talks a lot in the Gospels about self-sacrifice. You know, more than ever in the culture today, what we see more than anything is people having themselves as their God, having themselves as their idol, actually living for themselves, selfishly not going out their way for anybody else, but actually doing what they can to fulfill themselves. And Jesus says things like, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He talks about you know, those who truly lose their life shall find it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. Because it may feel like we're giving a lot up, but actually when you go after God and when you give yourself over to him, everything changes. And I don't know about you, but for me in my walk, and I think it's amazing that young people are at Soul Survivor and it saddens me that it's the last year they're doing Soul Survivor because for me, when I was 15 years old, you know, I wanted to just play football and find a girlfriend. Um, the summer of 2005, that was my plan. Liverpool had just won the Champions League. I was just over the moon uh, because football was my, my idol and my God, you know. And um, that's, that was me planned out. I was 15 years old and my parents forced me to go to Soul Survivor. And I met with the Lord there and he did a lot of things in my life. Um, this is one of those moments where I'm like, why have I just gone there? Um, but you know, he loves you so much and sacrifice should not be a chore. I just want to encourage you. I don't know, how long have I got? As long as I want. So there's, that's, that's trouble. Okay. But you know, <laughs> he loves us so much. And as I've said, we can give everything over to him and he will give us so much more back. But you know, one of the things I believe that as the church we've been guilty of as well is that we seek after his hand and not after his face. That actually we read scriptures like seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added unto you. And so we say, well, this is great and we seek him and that's good and that's what we want. But actually I want to tell you the greatest gift you can receive is his presence. The greatest gift that you can have 
is just him. And that's why you see churches thriving all over the world that have nothing, because they recognize the importance of simply having him. And so often in the Western world, we can clutter our Christian life with everything else. And it can be like, God, we just want the perfect family or the perfect house or this and that. And all that stuff is well and good. But actually, the most important thing you can have is his presence. And that's what sustains you. Because when everything else falls around you, you've built your, your life on the rock and you can stand firm and you can know that he is there. Amen. The last thing that he does is it says, and this is a bit of a crazy one, it says that he pours water or he gets the Israelites to pour water all over the altar, which I think is fascinating for two reasons. The first is that if you've read before and after, you'll know that it hasn't rained here for three years. You know, so I'm not a theologian. I don't know, maybe they, they went down to the sea. But I'm just being really simple and thinking, you know, water was probably a commodity right then. After three years, they're probably thinking this is not the best use of water. We could probably, you know, drink it or use it to clean with. Why are we throwing it on an altar when actually that defeats the purpose in the first place? Because if you want to see something set alight, you probably don't want to throw water over it. You want to keep it dry, <laughs> you know? But that's something that he asks them to do. And I believe there's two reasons for this. The first one practically for us is that the water speaks of the word of God. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about how we can be cleansed by the washing of the word. And I know that I keep talking about reading the Bible, but I know for a fact there's probably half of the congregation, if not more, and I can even look at myself that don't read the word as we should do. You know, I believe that the, the church more and more is becoming illiterate when it comes to the Bible. And you know, I did not go to Bible school. There's a lot for me to learn. I'm not saying this judging because I know that I need to be reading it more. So this is not condemnation. This is to pull something out of you and to say, I want to get in the word of God. But the reality is you don't need a title. You don't need to go to Bible school. You can go to bedroom Bible college. You can simply spend time with him. The Bible talks in Romans 12, uh, Romans 12 about renewing our minds. And so often we're not renewing our minds in the word of God. We're not spending time seeking first the kingdom of heaven. And actually what is happening is we are being conformed to the culture. And that's why if you even look out there, there's so much craziness even in the church world at the moment as the culture tries to throw itself, the worldly culture tries to throw itself onto the church. And so we need to be in a place where we know what God says. And that's what helps us when we come into difficult times. We can lay hold of his promises. We can actually say, well, this is what God says into this situation you know so often and it's more with the younger generation my generation whether it's millennials or or gen x but actually we live off a a, a word for the day or we live off a tweet you know and so often so many of us we build our theology on our favorite preacher instead of getting in the word for ourselves. You know, last time I was here, I shared a little analogy that, that, that basically said, of all the things that I say to you today, you'll probably remember three minutes of it. That's what statistically they say. You remember 10% of what you hear. And so if you are only living off a Sunday sermon, no matter who's preaching, the reality is you're not being well nourished. And if you, in, on, in your day-to-day -day life, you are simply going through and you're just having one meal a week, 
Physically, you're going to struggle, you know. Physically, you're not going to be much good to the people around you. But we think it's different spiritually when the reality is we need to be spending time with God. We need to be in, in, in his word. You know, he is the bread of life. And unless we are nourishing ourselves on him, then we're going to come into difficulties and we're going to be shaken to and fro. You know, there's a place where you can have peace amidst the storm. No matter what you face, because God is so real to you and his presence is so real to you, nothing phases you. You think of Jesus on the boat with the, the disciples and what's Jesus doing when the storm's going wild and the disciples are crying out and asking for help? Says that he's asleep. He's asleep, he's resting, he's at peace. And I want to tell you that what we can pull from that story is that the, the storm that you can sleep through is the one that you have authority over. And so I believe that even as a church, we can rise up to a place where we start seeing things happen in our midst because we become a people of his presence and a people of the word. You know, through everything that I've said so far, it's all been about what we can do to either receive his presence or experience the fire or just live day in, day out um, a victorious Christian life. But I always want to finish just recognizing that it actually isn't by what we do, but it's by what he's done. That actually we can try our hardest, but in the end that is just works and that's effort. And Jesus actually came to set us free from works so that we could simply rest in his grace. And I believe the most important thing that I could say is the reason for him throwing the water on that altar. I believe that Elijah is looking out to everybody and he's saying, yes, I've done this. Yes, I've done that. Yes, I've, I've set myself up right to experience what God wants for us. But the reality is this isn't because of me, but it's because of God. And so he does everything that he can in the last moment to prove this isn't a work of Elijah. This isn't something that I've been special enough to do you know all of us will know that whoever we are you know God has came to us because of his love not because of how much we've loved him you know we can flip that around in one John it says that we love God because he first loved us and so when we truly want to when we truly want to come to a place where we love God with our whole heart the most important thing we can do as believers is simply again just rest on his goodness and how much he loves us but the reality is that for some of you, you may have just tried really hard to be a good Christian and that hasn't worked for you. You've tried everything. You've tried to read the Bible. You've tried to pray. Has anybody been super kind of legalistic and religious? You know, this is something that I used to do all the time. I'd say, I'm going to read my Bible. And it's a noble thought and it's a noble act. But I would say, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read 20 chapters today. This is what I used to do when I was younger. And we had this space in our house, in my parents' house, that was kind of like under the stairs in the dark. And I thought that it would... Um, be more spiritual if I just sat under the stairs in the dark and I'd be like, I'm going to pray for an hour. And who knows, on the first day that I did this, I may have prayed for an hour. I may have read 20 chapters of the Bible. But the next day, you know, I say I'm going to do it again and it, you know, just gets a bit busy and then I do a bit less and a bit less and by the, I just give up in the end and I'm not reading it at all. And then I feel condemnation and then I feel distance from God and I'm not experienced that fire that the Israelites experienced that came down onto the altar at Mount Carmel. But the reality is, is yes, that is all noble and it's all good, but actually 
None of that stuff saves us. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. And I believe that none of that stuff actually continues our relationship with God. The first thing that we need to recognize is he's with us already. And actually that we do that stuff out of love and out of a desire to grow. That's what, that his grace actually empowers us to do those things instead of us thinking that those things will actually draw us into his presence. Does that make sense? I feel like I've been a bit here, there and everywhere this morning, um, but I hope that it's okay. You know, and in Zechariah 4, 6, we all know the verse. It says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, you know, this morning as I wrap up, that you, wherever you are in your walk with God, you can experience his presence afresh this morning. And it doesn't look like we, we do have music or a band, but what I would like us to do is if each of us can just close our eyes and we're just going to pray, if that's okay. Father, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you that you love each and every one of us. I want to thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Father, I pray this morning that you would simply remind us of your goodness. God, that you would remind us of your grace, that you would remind us that you're for us, that you would remind us, God, that there is nothing better than knowing you and having relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of us this morning would come to a fresh realization that we know you. That right now, I just want each and every one of you to just imagine, and you will have your own picture for this, but just imagine in your mind's eye that you're approaching Jesus. That picture may be him on the cross. That picture may be him on the throne. But just picture Jesus and just come to him afresh. Drop all the baggage, drop all the pain, drop all the guilt and just simply say, God, I love you. God, I want you to use me afresh. God, I want you to work in my life afresh. God, I want you to have your way in my life. You know, guys, because this is the reality, God meets with us and works in us so that we can be his vessels to the world around us. And Elijah on that mountain, he says to the Israelites, come near to me. That actually what he's doing is he's drawing people into his proximity to reveal the power and the goodness of God. People that have lost sight of who he is, people that have lost sight of his goodness, people that don't know him at all. And so God, I pray that you would empower us so that we could go into our spheres And we could reveal you to those that we know. Lord, I pray that you would take us back to that place of first love. Lord, that you would do a fresh work in our heart this morning. That every burden would be lifted because you said my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And we know that you're here in our midst. And we thank you, God, to finish the We thank you for the reality that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we thank you for freedom in this place today. And we come to you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.